today. So there you are, you ugly bat-faced freak. All swaddled up inside them warm blankets, just like a newborn baby. Well, so long, baby. Heh. <laughs> huh? You wasn't looking for me by any chance, was you, Burke? Mighty foolish you firing both them barrels into them rolled up blankets. When did you say so, Burke? Now you ain't got nary a shell left to fire at me. Ain't that a discomfitting fact? Now, Hex, look here. Professor Zoom Productions. In association with the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Proudly present for your listening pleasure, the Dun and One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show, hosted by Professor Zoom Yukonori. Today's episode, Missive the Point. Previously on the Dun and One Wonders podcast Wonder Show. What exactly is that backpack thing, Mr. Manning? It's... it's Lamo's... Whoa. Wow. Jones! Whoa. Wow. Stellarium Titanium Shielding now at optimum integrity. This entity is now equipped to fulfill his mission. Bring that creature down! Is this your idea doing no harm? I.e. Negative. I. Processing. Calculated a zero probability the recalculating. Lanos, please, you must shut yourself down and run a sleep mode diagnostic and repair of all... Negative. This entity must complete mission. Lanos? Lamo computer gone! And since lame Lanos took the time conveyor with him, we had no idea where and when he went. But Detox here Vartox. promised to help me track him down while I also try and make amends on Tynola. Hmm. Lanos had a secret mission. He apparently needed Stellarium and the Tynolan Titanium to carry it out. Uh, I'm sorry, who are you? My name was named Blot. I am a bot. A bot? Left by Lanos? Affirmatively, yes. So someone else gave Lamo Lamo's mission. Right. And it's likely that Lanos's secret mission would involve some secret transmissions. The stamp is a very close match to that of a different communication still in the logs. 
a message we had received during Episode 7. Which one? Apocalypse. Pre-Crisis Earth-1 Date, July 3rd, 1985. Yes, this one is finally here to free you, my love. Quite ingenious of you to employ a captive mother box to draw the Owen artificial intelligence within our reach. Very true, Desaad. And soon, very soon. The final piece of the anti-life equation will be in my grasp. And now, the continuation. Greetings and welcome to the 13th episode of the Done in One Wonders podcast wonder show. A celebration of comic book tales that are able to tell a complete story within a single issue. A proud and unabashedly conceited member of the Fire and Water podcast network. I am your host, Professor Zoom Yukinori, and I am so delighted to be here. In fact, I am as jubilant as a comic book reader that saw his first fan letter printed in the mail column of his favorite title. And don't forget Solomon Grundy, too. And I'm glad to be doing podcasting again with Little Professor Man. Though Grundy still miss rest of Zoom crew. I do too, Mr. Grundy. And perhaps one day we will get the crew back together. As regular listeners of our podcast know, circumstances in Season 2 had essentially cut the size of our podcast crew to less than half. Those circumstances had also prevented us from conducting the Done in One Wonders electronic mailroom segment. So while we are still figuring out how to retool this podcast for Season 3... We will spend this episode clearing the inbox of listener feedback that we had received from episodes 8 through 12, which will be quite an undertaking. So we had better get started. Lay- Oh. Little Professor Man sure it good idea to do podcast with Lamo Computer running secret mission for dark-sided man on Rocktropolis? We do not know for sure if Lanos is actually working for Darkside, Mr. Grundy. Just that the secret transmissions came from somewhere near Apocalypse. And since we have no way of knowing for sure, given that Lanos had taken the interspatial time conveyor with him, I am trying not to worry about something that may not actually be true. Can Little Professor Man show Grundy how to do that? Cause Solomon Grundy is still worried. I will let you know as soon as I figure it out myself. Lay... Uh... Blot? Greeting cards and saluting stations. I am Blot. I am a bot. I write podcasts. But only after I am forced to listen to 1000 hours of- Yes, we know that, Blot. But I understand Mr. Grundy had programmed you with another function recently. The one pertaining to the mail? Correct. I have been programmed to review the electronic mail and questions on why they are not composed of electronics. There will be no answers. Uh, okay. 
How about we go through the mail together then, yes? Solomon Grundy, read the first. What the bloody blue blazes? Jonah, Hex? You know me, stranger? Uh, only by reputation, sir. Another little cowboy man on wheelie chair, just like little professor man's. Not exactly like mine. His is more beautifully crafted. Oak wood and caned back and seating and wooden spoke wheels with metal rims and wooden handrails and upholstered arms. Horsehair stuffing, I imagine. Again, such beautiful craftsmanship. You look like you had the better draw for an invalid chair, stranger. I just had to make do with what the doc had on hand. Of course, I'm more than happy to trade, but first... I reckon you're the one who yanked me away from my own business. I figure I owe you one for the inconvenience. Uh, I assure you, Mr. Hex, I am just as surprised by your appearance here as you are. My name is Zoom Yukonori. My large friend here is Solomon Grundy. And my name is named Blot. I am a bot. With all your fancy time machines and all, I obviously had done time traveled again. You in cahoots with that time lordy feller, little professor man? Time Lordy! The Lord of Time, who had transported Mr. Hex and a number of other characters from different eras in a convoluted scheme to recruit the Justice League and Justice Society to help him defeat a computer he created that would had otherwise stopped the flow of all time. Huh? You had to be there. You can read the full story in Justice League of America, Volume 1, Issues 159 and 160. And since you knew so much about that, Professor, I'm going to ask you one more time to send me back where I was. Unless you'd rather get a slug in your... Again, I assure you, Mr. Hex, we had nothing to do with you being here. And to be completely honest, I do not know how we can send you home. But I can show you how I know about your last time travel trip. It's the same way I know about how you ended up in that wheelchair. What? Where'd you get that fancy engraving? A gift from my uncle, actually. This is... an engraved record of your historical exploits, Mr. Hex. To us, it is known as Jonah Hex, Volume 1, Issue 73. Cover dated June of 1983. But according to the brilliant Mike's Amazing World of Comics website, it was on sale on March 24th, 1983. That's more than a hundred years from now. Is that where I am? 1983? Uh, thereabouts. And to be completely blunt with you, Mr. Hex, I do not like this situation any more than you do. In fact, I am concerned that the mischief done by te- uh, time bandits we encountered recently may had ruptured the space-time continuum. Blast, I hope not. I would hate to have to deploy the safe house protocol so soon. Safe what now? What little professor man doing? Setting up a neutrino scan to see if there are any other temporal anomalies in this area of space. We should get a sense of the scope of the problem before we... I may have dealt with time traveling before, but that don't mean I get where you're going. I'm using my, um, fancy machine here to look for holes in time, if you will. I suspect you fell through one of those holes and wound up here. If I can actually find that hole, we can send you back through it so you could go back to when you belong. Now that's more like it.
It may take a little time, though, Mr. Hex. May I offer you some tea while we're waiting? Grundy also liked to hear a story of how little cowboy Hexman got his wheelie chair. I'd be interested in seeing this engraved version of the story. I'm curious how I got out of that particular predicament. You mean this cover image, illustrated by Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano, which showed you as you are now, with both legs broken and set in plaster casts, sitting in your wheelchair as it rolled off the edge of a high cliff, with three nefarious-looking men happy to see you go? That is quite a spot to be in, no doubt. Um, at the risk of getting ahead of ourselves, were you on your hunt for the Jody Mentlow gang when you had suddenly appeared in our studio? Nah. I'd done taking care of them already. I was on my way with Manuel to get a fife and drum. So you were not kidding about that. I mean the fife and drum, that is. Uh, thank you, Mr. Hex. I just wanted to be sure I was not going to reveal anything about your own future before we start to dive into this done-in-one wonder, which began with a very nice character introduction on the top of page one. He was a hero to some a villain to others, and wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex, but he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other the acrid smell of gun smoke. Now that there is downright over-poetic. Talk about making much ado about nothing. And with that over-poetic opening, we jump right into the tale entitled... The Wheelchair Bounty Hunter Writer, Michael L. Fleischer Artist, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez Praise, Praise be his, his name, name. Y'all ain't being sacrilegious, are you? Oh, not at all. It is just our sign of respect to this amazing artist who created these engravings for your story. Almost like how one would cheer their favorite sports team, or, um, bronc rider, I suppose. We do not equate him to God, Allah, the Lord, or anyone's deity of choice, but you can see that his work is quite... divine. I can't argue with that. To continue the story publication credits, Letterer, Ben Oda. Colorist, Bob LaRose. Editor, Ross Andrew. The story began at the dead of night in a desolate wooded area in the 1870s. 1877, to be precise. Ah, thank you, sir. You, Jonah Hex, accompanied by a nervous-looking gentleman in a hat and coat, were stalking out a makeshift campsite from the surrounding brush. A slouched figure with a rifle, seated on a fallen tree, faced a campfire while five sleeping figures in bedrolls laid silent. The nervous man, who would soon be named... Archie Nathanson. Yes, he was begging for you to be careful as you approached, stating in stuttering tones that if Jody Mantlow was to ever find out Mr. Nathanson betrayed his gang and led you to their campsite for a share of the reward money for their capture, Mr. Mantlow would stick Mr. Nathanson on a barbecue spit and roast him alive. He said no such thing. Who talks like that? This is a clearly cut out example of expository dialogue. It exposes the story embarrassingly. Perhaps so. But with that simple word balloon, we the readers knew who was at the camp and why Mr. Hex was there. That slimy snake Nathan said did tip me off about the Jody Mantlow gang. 
and I did promise to let him go with a share of the bounty if he was on the level. And he was belly aching all the time about what would happen to him if the capture had gone south. But a barbecue spit? He just kept saying Mantlo would shoot him dead. Over and over and over. All the way from town to the camp. I told him to quit his worrying, because the only place his former friend Jody Mantlo was going from there was on a one-way trip through the gallows trap. There are no two ways about gallows humor. Of course, I should have chose my words more carefully. I thought I got the drop on the gang and ordered everyone to reach for the moon. And nobody moved. I walked up to the lookout by the fire and told him to drop his scattergun. And he still did nothing. Just sat there. It wasn't until I grabbed his rifle away did I find out the lookout was just a straw dummy. I recall that was a trick you had pulled on many an outlaw who believed they had the drop on you. You don't have to tell me, Professor. And neither did Jody Mantlow. But he did anyway, as he and his gang came out of their hiding places around the camp, irons and shotguns in hand. They had us dead to rights. Well, they had me, as Nathanson fessed up that he was still a part of the gang, and used his turncoat story to lead me into their little trap. I love how cinematic this page is. From the slow reveal of the straw man decoy to the seven gang members suddenly appearing out of nowhere. There he is. The taller skunk with the greasy mustache and cigarillo. That one's Jody Mantlo. He told Nathanson he did such a good job of Judas goating me, he'd make sure it said so on his tombstone. I'll admit, I don't remember the next part so clear. We can fill in those details here on page 3, panel 2. Mantlo turned to one of his gang, named Burke, who had his hands on the plunger of a detonator, and we can see the wire led straight to... The middle of the camp. And the next dramatic panel revealed that the gang had planted dynamite in the ground, which blew both you and Mr. Nathanson to... Holy hell! The final panel of this page showed the gang briefly admiring their handiwork, before Mantlo told them all to... Quote, saddle up and scatter. Like the roaches they were. Mantlo planned to call them all back together in a couple of weeks or so, once he had planned the gang's next big job. The next page had taken place at sunrise. A young Mexican boy driving a horse-drawn buckboard happened by the scene and stopped to... Buckboard? Grundy say that looks like a wagon to Grundy. That is what a buckboard is, Mr. Grundy. It is a special type of wagon. The name refers to the footrest at the frontmost part of the wagon, in front of the driver's seat. Right. That there board actually protects the driver in case the horse aims to buck. Buckboard. Ooh, Grundy get it now. The horses are surely bored whenever they give a buck. Back to the story. The young lad... Manuel. That's the youngin's name. Right. Though the readers would not find this out until the same time you did, Mr. Hex. Is little Professor Man getting ahead of himself? I suppose so, Mr. Grundy. I reckon I'm the one that's actually ahead of himself. I know, Mr. Hex. And again, we are trying to figure out why that is. But while the compute, uh, fancy machines try to find the cause, why don't we continue with your tale? Manuel stopped to see what he could do to help. He saw that Nathanson was dead, but when he pressed his ear to your chest, Mr. Hex, he found that you had somehow survived. I'm just as surprised, seeing the actual explosion on the previous picture page. 
My best guess is that skunk Archie was right on top of the dynamite and blocked most of the blast. That was very likely, but you seem to be barely alive. Manuel gave you a long drink from his canteen and somehow managed to get your body onto the buckboard so he could drive you to the town doctor. It was still early morning when Manuel arrived at the doctor's office, for he had to bang loudly on the front door to wake up the doctor, who came out in his sleepwear to help Manuel get you inside on a stretcher. And who just happened to see your arrival than Burke, the Mantlow gang member who pushed the plunger on the dynamite on page 3? While surprised to find that you had survived the blast, Burke vowed that, while you had entered the doctor's office on a stretcher, the only way you were going to leave was in a pine box. Does everybody talk this funny in your telling of my story? This was the part of the story where you woke up, Mr. Hex, in the private infirmary behind the doctor's office. Yeah, the doc explained how I wound up there, and said I ought to be damn thankful to be alive. And I was, to the doc and especially to the young'un who brought me in. But what the blazes is going on in these two pictures there? You mean panels 2 and 3 on page 6? Well, panel 2 had you starting to climb out of bed and showed that you were wearing your long johns, and panel 3 showed you sitting up on the bed about to stand up. Both panels cleverly did not show your legs, so that when we get to the fourth panel, as you tried to stand, the panel revealed that both of your legs were in plaster casts from just below your knees to your ankles. As you fell to the floor, the doctor explained that while you had escaped serious internal injury from the blast, both of your legs were broken in several places, and you would have to stay off of your feet for at least five or six weeks. This picture page done made me look like a dadgum idiot. You think I didn't notice the cast of my legs when I was trying to get out of bed? So little cowboy hex man didn't try to stand up and then fall over? Oh, I tried to walk out all right. I was counting on the cast being able to support me. But my legs hurt so much once I put my weight on them, that's why I fell over. Why'd little cowboy hex man try to leave? Cause it ain't safe for the doc. When the Jody Mantlow gang finds out I was still alive, they'll bust in the doc's office and try to kill me for sure. And most likely the doc and anyone else who happens to be there. Right. As you had stated on the top of page 7, they would be firing more artillery than Grant used at the Siege of Vicksburg. Hmm, I never did put it that way, but that ain't wrong. But back to the last panel of page 6 for a moment. The doctor made it clear that you would have to remain confined either to the bed or to that beautiful oak and cane wheelchair in the corner of the infirmary. Again, if you want to trade infirmary chairs... I will have to respectfully decline, Mr. Hex. Back to the story. The doctor helped you back into the bed, assuring you that the early morning street was practically empty when Manuel brought you in, so he was sure that no one suspected you were there. I wasn't convinced, but I wasn't in no position to argue. And sides, mean little Berkey man saw you on the other page. Yeah, and while I didn't know that, I didn't know how leaky mouths were. So if anyone saw me on the street, he was sure the Jody Mantlow gang would eventually get word. And of course, in the second panel of page 7, late that night, the doctor was again roused from his sleep by a loud knocking at the door, followed by a hard knock on the head by the handle of Burke's sawed-off shotgun. 
There was a beautifully rendered silent panel on the bottom of page 7 as Burke snuck his way to the infirmary. Burke then slowly creeped inside, quietly approached Jonah Hex's bed, and fired both barrels of his sawed-off shotgun into the sleeping figure within. Burke's smile of satisfaction quickly faded when he noticed our Mr. Hex was actually not in his bed, but sitting awake in the wheelchair at the edge of the room behind him, with a pistol pointed right at him. Mighty foolish of Burke to unload both barrels into Straw Man! Little Cowboy Hex Man used same straw man dummy trick. Not straw. Just rolled up blankets. Took some doing to set it all up, too. Having to wheel around the bed and all. The essentially unarmed Burke attempted to reason with Hex, who immediately fired a shot square into Burke's forehead. Quick and painless. More than he deserved. Cool. Uh, yes. You disagree with my decision, Professor? You think I should have made him suffer a bit afore? Not at all, Mr. Hex. I am just not a fan of guns. But I do understand the need for them in your time. It was the Wild West, after all. So I defer to your expertise in these matters, sir. Huh. You're a strange one, Yukonori. Most of the snooty iron snubbers I met are all a bunch of yellow-bellied cowards. But not you. I can tell you're not one to run away from a fight. That is, before you was an invalid, I'm sure. I had been in a scraper six in my day, Mr. Hex. Nowhere near your experience, I am sure. Again, you are the professional when it comes to these matters. On the next page, you left the dead Mr. Burke splayed across your infirmary bed while you picked up his weapon. I figured it would be put to good use in more, uh, professional hands. Hmm. I also checked on the doc, who was just not cold, I'm happy to say. Since Burke came after me alone, I figured he didn't want to give word to the rest of the gang without also bragging about finishing me off. So the doc should be okay as long as I didn't stick around. As you wheeled out of the doctor's office and into the night, your keen mind had thought of a, quote, surefire skunk exterminating program what's just aching to be put into effect. There you go with that yarny talk again. I just thought I should track down the rest of the Jody Mantlow gang straight away. Hmm. Skunk exterminating program, though. I can sit with that. So, little cowboy Hexman gonna go after skunk gang on wheelie chair? Not give legs time for healing? Can't afford to wait that long. And I wasn't planning to go after him in just my chair. I aimed to have Manuel and his bookboard help me get around. I made sure to compensate him for his trouble. Indeed. Manuel said that for what you had paid him, he was happy to drive you anywhere. Manuel's a good young'un. After all, he was willing to drag my sorry hide to the dock for nothing. First thing we'd done was to go back to where the gang tried to blow me to pieces, and that track where they went from there. Of course, they all rode off in different directions, so we had to dog them down one at a time. And for the reader's benefit... Panel 2 had taken the time to show and explain that Manuel was wheeling you up onto his buckboard using a pair of wooden planks. That he did, but I didn't actually say all that out loud. Of course. It took about two days to catch up to the next skunk on my list. Name was Wes something or other. I tracked him to a saloon about two towns over. I have to admire all of the detail Jose Luis Garcia Lopez... Praise, Praise be his, his name. name. 
had put into this establishing shot of the saloon. From the drifter drinking at the bar, to the barkeep reading the paper, to the drunken cowboy dancing with the saloon lady, to all of the details at the poker table in the center of the panel at which Wes was playing, there was such a hubbub of activity and not a single motion line. A man dressed in a green suit approached Wes, telling him there was a crippled guy in a wheelchair outside that wanted to talk to him. Oh yeah? Wes snarled. Well, tell him to get lost, cause right now I'm playing a winning hand. No, he wasn't. Right then, he was playing a dead man's hand. Did you actually say that? Just like in panel 4 of page 10 when you startled Wes by your sudden arrival in the saloon? Nah, but I'm getting the hang of all this melodramatic talk now. I just told Wes to go for his iron, since I'm not one to shoot a man without giving him a chance to try to get me first. Didn't little cowboy hex man shoot Berkey man when Berkey man couldn't shoot back? Berkey man had already took his shot at me. Not my worry that he done fired in the wrong direction. Oh, cool. Course, Wes couldn't outdraw me. Right when he got his gun out, Burke's shotgun took him out. I am surprised the recoil from that shot didn't push you clear across the room, since your chair does not seem to have any brakes. The only brakes were in my legs. Uh, right. I actually had the chair backed up against the wall of the saloon by the door, same as I did in the infirmary when I gunned down Burke. Oh, that makes more sense. What about little man dressed in green that was Wes's friend? Wasn't he part of Skunk Gang, too? Nah. He may have been a friend of Wes, but he wasn't in the gang. I had no quarrel with him, and if he was smart, he'd have no quarrel with me. Heh. Little cowboy hexman tough. Grundy like tough. I ain't worth your praise. Save it for that Garcia Lopez fella. Praise, praise be, be his, his name. name. Every time? Every time. Back to the story. The next panel cut to the following evening in a seedy frontier hotel. Yeah, I found out the Mantlo skunk named Luke Westfield had holed himself in there, so I snuck in his room while he was out and waited in the dark to surprise him. Yes, he was returning with a, um, lady of the evening, and he was indeed surprised by your greeting and your survival. Westfield immediately opened his coat to show you that he had no guns, so it would have been unfair if you were to shoot him. That's true. So I told him to start running. That would make us about even. He ain't got no gun. I ain't got no legs. So little cowboy hex man gunned down running Luke man? Nah, that'd still be unfair. Instead, I threw my lasso around him. Or more specifically, his neck. Very cool. Everything in this here future is cool to you gents, ain't it? Even the air in this here room. Despite the grisly scene of you strangling Westfield to death in the hotel hallway, I did find it amusing that you were also being a perfect gentleman to his female companion, apologizing for spoiling her evening. That also given the lady a bit of kilter to make up for her losing a customer. Again, a perfect gentleman. Just keep it under your hat, Professor. Reputation and all that. You have my word, sir. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to you, another member of the Mantlo gang was also holed up in that hotel and saw you take down Westfield through the narrow opening of the door to his room. 
Realizing that you survived the dynamite trap and that you were now tracking them all down, he planned to sneak out of the hotel and warn the rest of the gang. Well, that explains how they were on to me the next day. Yes, on unlucky page 13 of the story, which had taken place late the following afternoon. You and Manuel were following another trail that led to an old miner's cabin. Yep. Manuel and me were keeping a far lookout from a high cliff, and while I was working out my plan to spook the next gang skunk in the cabin, the remaining four of the Matlow gang had actually snuck up behind us. Jody Matlow trained his pistol on the both of you as he ordered another gang member, Pete, to push you off the cliff, joking about seeing whether you would flap your wings and fly. Grundy don't get it. It's like how a mama bird teaches a baby bird to fly. She just pushes him out of the nest. Manuel was very brave here, holding up a hand in protest and stepping toward Jody Mantlow, despite you both being held at gunpoint. Manuel was lucky, and Mantlow only. Uh, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, Mr. Hex. At the top of page 14, Jody Mantlow fired his pistol and shot Manuel, who fell to the ground, while Pete shoved you and your chair down the steep rocky cliffside. The gang watched you roll down a bit until I presume you were out of their sight, because they then decided to ride down to the cabin to celebrate their victory. Wait, they did what now? I know. It is a common trope in comics for the villain to put the hero in a death trap and then turn away before that death comes, so they do not see the hero escape that trap. I suppose this story is no different. That's not what I meant. In this case, as we see on the bottom panels of page 14, you had managed to stay upright in your chair long enough throughout your descent to pull out your lasso and toss it onto either a tree limb or a rock outcropping, both of which we had seen in the long shot of the cliffside back on panel 2. The lasso stopped your fall, while the chair itself continued to drop to the river below. What? Little cowboy hexman, really cool. Then you slowly lowered yourself down the length of your rope to the bottom of the cliff and crawled through the river to your fallen chair, which, fortunately, was still as fit as a square dance caller's fiddle. Oh, lordy. Despite the chair's fitness, it is very fortunate to be found illegally parked among the unhelpful rocks. Instead of falling into a plot hole, Using the dangling lasso to hold yourself upright, you managed to climb back into your chair and wheeled yourself out of the river, planning a little surprise for Jody Mantlow and his gang. Uh-huh. I'll bet. On panel two of page 16, it was revealed that you had spent an agonizing half-hour wheeling yourself up a nearby hillside that overlooked the Mantlow gang's cabin on the other side. I'm sure that was the hardest work I'd ever done in my whole life. Pointing your chair at the cabin door, you let yourself roll down the hill, gathering speed. And I liked how your thoughts were echoing a rodeo announcer. There he goes, boys and girls. Bounty hunter Jonah Hex riding wheelchair number seven out of chute number six. Look at him go now. Do you suppose he can manage to stay on that four-wheeled bronc for the full eight seconds? <laughs> Not sure what you mean by rodeo, but that does remind me of the bronc riding bouts I'd seen in Cheyenne a few years back. 
Meanwhile, inside the cabin below, the Mantlo gang was celebrating your demise when, wham, you crashed your chair through the cabin door screaming, here's Jonah, which reminded me of that famous scene by Jack Nicholson in The Shining, which was parodying Ed McMahon's introduction of Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. I don't know who these Nickelwood, McManny, and Carson gents are, but apparently they plum stole that bit from me. It was quite a dramatic shot as you burst in, and we could see that you had both your pistol and Burke's shotgun at the ready as, in a single large action panel, you gunned down all four of the remaining gang members before they could fully ready their weapons. Land sakes, look at them all flying about. That was pretty. What did the big one call it? Cool? Cool. The combination of the gun recoil and your smashing through the front door had overturned your wheelchair. And indeed, it was cool how you managed to take all four of them down before you toppled over. Well, I had to gun them all down before... Before skunk gang get chance to get drop on ya? Nah. Before they see me fall over like old Sam Patch's pet bear. Mighty undignified if I let them lowlife see me like that. Fortunately, Manuel arrived in the next panel to help you back up. The lad had a makeshift cloth bandage tied around his forehead and explained that Jody Mantlow's shot had only grazed his scalp. Grazed his... You think if Jody Mantlow shot you at real close like, he wouldn't hit you square? So you're saying that that was not what had happened? Heck no, that ain't what happened. Look at here. This rickety old wicker basket would have been smashed to smithereens if it fell off the cliff like that. And I'm sure I would have done crippled myself for life if I'd used my broken legs to kick open the cabin door like on page 16 there. To be honest, I did wonder about both of those points. So Mr. Hexadecimal did fall into a plot hole. I was just playing along with you yahoos just now, seeing how this Garcia Lopez gent, praised be his name, name. had done gone to all that trouble to engrave that wild stunt. You might as well say I lassoed a Texas Twister and pulled it over to catch me in my chair as we fell. And then I rode that tornado right into that cabin and scattered the Jody Mantlow gang to the four winds. So that was what little cowboy Hexman had actually done? That even cooler than what cowboy Hexman had done on picture pages. I think I know why you time hoppers blow these stories about me all out of proportion. Y'all believe almost anything. The truth was, the Mantlow gang did have us surrounded, and Jody did tell Pete to push me off of that cliff. But Manuel actually turned my chair around to try and push me away from the edge. But then Mantlow grabbed the brave youngin and pushed him to the ground. The skunk. Then Pete grabbed the chair handles and turned me back toward the cliff, and that was when I pulled out my irons from underneath the blanket covering my legs and gunned down Jody Mantlow and the rest of the gang. All set Pete, since he was behind me. He let go of my chair and tried to pull out his iron, except I already fired a shot over my shoulder. He was the one that went rolling off the cliff, not me. So everything we had read from page 14 on... Just a tall tale. Maybe Manuel told one of his friends, and then the friend retold it to someone else, and they all add a little spice to the tale each time. So by the time it got around to this Fleischer gent, this is how it ended up. Hmm. Well, that does make sense. And I can understand one wanting to make the story more exciting. Oh, sure. But that's not what I'm all about. 
But you must admit, Mr. Hex, that such exaggerations of your exploits would serve to bolster your reputation as a bounty hunter one would not want to have hunting them. I don't know. I always thought my errands pretty much said all one needed to know about me. I did like the story ending on the last two panels of page 17. Manuel was wheeling you out of the cabin, or I suppose it would have been away from the gunned-down Mantlo gang on the top of the cliff. You asked Manuel to drive the two of you back into town so you could buy Manuel a big, fat, juicy steak. Oh yeah, that did happen. And then did you know what we were going to do? No. What? I was going to buy me a fife and Manuel a drum. And then, till I was free of this blasted invalid chair, him and me was going to start hiring ourselves out to patriotic celebrations as the Spirit of 76. And that was the end of The Wheelchair Bounty Hunter from Jonah Hex, Volume 1, Issue 73. And Manuel and I just finished our steak supper when I was yanked away and done wound up here. Where he is here, by the way? Uh, California. I'm afraid I cannot tell you the exact date, you understand. Though I should know yours if we are to get you back to when you came. Right. March 23rd, 18... Mother mercy! Lanos? Lamo came back. But is Lamo still crazy Lamo from before? If this middle monsters are looking to step on this hombre, he's got another thinker coming. Everyone, stand down. Mr. Hex, please, stand down. Lanos? Acknowledged. Standing down. Phew. Lanos, you are all right? All systems are functioning at optimum parameters. Exceeding optimum parameters, actually, all due to her. Her? Her who? Oh, wow. A mother box. Mother what? A mother box. A living computer typically found on New Genesis, home of the new gods. This is Maya. She was captured by Darkseid's forces that invaded New Genesis. But her captor's ship had taken heavy fire from the New Genesis forces and exploded before they could deliver her to Apocalypse. She had survived, but was drifting aimlessly through space, alone until she crashed amid a radioactive asteroid field. I had intercepted her transmissions for assistance and devised a plan to rescue her. So the secret mission that was a secret was to rescue the mission. So that why Lamo's stealing all that stuff with Cowboy Man to build Lamo's robot body. And you needed the Stellarium to withstand the radioactivity of the asteroid field. We did find evidence of transmissions that originated from somewhere near Apocalypse in the pre-crisis timeline. We feared that they may have come from Darkseid or one of his minions. I am relieved to know that they were from a mother box. I, I mean, Maya. But, Lanos, why did you not just tell us? Yeah, 
Grundy and Zoom crew could have helped. I am uncertain. Maya's transmissions seem to generate a new subroutine that ran counter to my logic algorithms. I had never experienced anything like that before. I needed to investigate this experience further. But the more I explored, the more illogical it became. And I must had malfunctioned. Sounds to Grundy, Lamo fell head over heels in love. Mr. Grundy? What? Love make you do crazy things, don't it? I can attest to that. Additional Entity Identified as Entity Jonah Hex From Temporal Record Index of Pre-Crisis Earth-1 Timeline Date March 24, 1877 2.14 Coordinated Universal Time Location Salvation, New Mexico March 23rd, actually. Around about 8 o'clock or such at night. Indeed. March 23rd, 1877, 2014, local time. Query. How did Entity Jonah Hex come to be here without the use of an interspatial time conveyor? We're hoping you can tell us. But first... First, how come Crazy Lamo Computer ain't crazy anymore? I suspect Maya had something to do with that, am I right? Affirmative. Maya repaired my malfunctioning subroutines. But how did Entity Zoom Yukonori deduce this? Mother boxes are known for their healing properties, so it stood to reason that capability would include system repair. But Lenos, while your intentions were noble, and I am glad for Maya's safe rescue, your so-called do-no-harm robberies in 1984 had actually done some harm. Indeed. I will extract the Stellarium and other stolen components from my mechanical form and return them to all of their original points of origin. To complete this task, I will require the continued use of the interspatial time conveyor. Of course. Gratitude. Of course you may accompany me. Maya? Did he say time conveyor? Yes. Lanos, you better... While Lamo out there, Lamo may want to meet up with Cowboy Man and Chippendale Man on Chippendale Man Planet. Query. Entity Chippendale Man? Vartox. Mr. Manning and Vartox went through the open space warp to 1984 to look for you. And because the Galactic Centurions closed that portal, he is still stuck back there. I shall inquire when I return the stolen 50 milligrams of white titanium to Tynola. Gratitude. Maya? Yes, but first, we need you to... Send Mr. Hex back. Back in 1984? So this is a few years ahead of 1983. I did say thereabouts. I am sorry, Mr. Hex. But again, you understand that I cannot tell you the exact year. But those boxes of yours can send me home? Yes, um, after they get back. Well, I waited this long. Suppose I can wait.
Task complete. And we had brought Entity Terraman back with us. Indeed he did, as well as I. Vartox, the last Valeronian! Oh, my. Cowboy man, what happened to you? As I live and breathe, is that Jess Manning? The years have not been kind to you. Mr. Manning here had been sentenced by the Punishment Bureau on Tynola. The punishment for his crime was 90 years. Adopting Valeronian technology, his age had been accelerated by that amount. But that made Cowboy Man over 500 years old. More like 130, at least biologically. I suppose he survived the process thanks to all of the implants the Collector had placed in his body. <sighs> Mr. Manning, I, I really do not know what to say. Now that Manning had shoved his sentence and the Tynolan Extra Strength Titanium was returned, I may leave you all in peace. Lainos? Activating Transdimensional Portal to Planet Tynola. Pre-Crisis Earth 1 date, September 14th, 1984. Farewell, Zoom crew. I trust you will all learn from this example. Yoiks! And away! <laughs> I was tempted to track you down myself, Jess. Especially since the bounty went up after your third stagecoach robbery. But, seeing as you had done paid for what you'd done, I aim to lay off of you. <sighs> so maybe them magic boxes can send me home now? Acknowledged. Activating Transdimensional Portal to Salvation, New Mexico. Pre-Crisis Earth 1 date, March 23rd, 1877, 2015 local time. Much obliged, Magic. Uh, lay nose. Adios, Professor. Watch out for more of them tall tales. Safe journey, Mr. Hex. I am glad that we could send you back. Bye, Cowboy Hexman. Grunde hope Cowboy Hexman get better real soon. Thank you kindly, Mr. Grundy. Jess, better take a load off. If I ever see you again, I'll be sure to look the other way. <gasps> Ma'am. Well, that is one problem solved, but we still do not know how Mr. Hex arrived in our studio in the first place. Lenos, can you scan for any disruptions to the space-time continuum, most likely caused by your and Mr. Manning's recent time heists last season? Here, Cowboy Man. Let Grundy help Cowboy Man into Little Professor Man's old wheelchair. I do not detect any disruptions to the space-time continuum in this sector. Did you intend to have Entity Jonah Hex here as a guest host for your podcast? No, but now that you mention it, we did end up having him as a guest host, 
to discuss a 17-page story that was one of his more typical and yet atypical adventures. This was not the first Jonah Hex tale in which a gang of owl hoots believed they had succeeded in killing the bounty hunter, who then hunted after the gang members one by one. But this standard bounty hunter's revenge scenario was very distinctive given our anti-hero's handicap. And the addition of the wheelchair had made for some very unusual visuals of Jonah Hex in action, all made the more striking under the pencil and pen of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise, Praise be his, his name. name. I had stated in past episodes about his exquisite draftsmanship and attention to detail, but I must also compliment how the storytelling was so cinematic here. I do not have to read a single word in the captions or speech balloons and would still be able to follow along with the story. It was, indeed, a done-in-one wonder worthy of a podcast episode. If we had the time conveyor, I am sure we would have brought Mr. Hex here ourselves to discuss it, but... Acknowledged. Activating Transdimensional Portal to Salvation, New Mexico. Pre-Crisis Earth 1 date, March 23rd, 1877. 2014 local time. Target. Entity Jonah Hex. Transporting target to the Done One Wonders Earth One Studio. 47.2 minutes ago. Wait, are you saying that you had time transported Jonah Hex away from... That was not your request 38.4 seconds ago? Uh... Looks like today is wheelchair day. You third person to have one, cowboy man. <laughs> Maya? <laughs> Grande can't see. Lenos, what is Maya doing? She... she appears to be... Utilizing her healing properties to restore Entity Terraman's systems to their previous settings. Never want to go through that again. At least not all at once. Little cowboy man, back to normal self. Welcome back to the Middle Ages, Mr. Manning. Yeah. I'm a mite glad to see you're not holed up in an Ungarian hoosgow, Professor. I had made restitution, Mr. Manning, as had you. Heh. <laughs> and it's real good to see you too, Lamo. All back to your annoying self, I see. And with a lady friend, I understand. Offer. Yes. This is Maya. Thank you kindly, Ms. Maya, for giving me a second chance. Well, actually, it's my third. Anywho, I don't aim to ruin it. Good to hear, Mr. Manning. Grundy figure, Zoom crew, all back to status quo. The status quo plus one. And a very nice addition, I might add. Thank you very much. Oh, uh... Now, if you would please excuse us, Entity Zoom Yukonori, Maya and I have to... 
Rebuild some studio systems. Oh, um, sure, Lanos. To echo Terraman, it is good to have you back. You and Maya both. I look forward to continuing our third season together. Hehe, <laughs> Lamo and Maya sitting in a tree. I-N-T-E-R facing. Mr. Grundy. What? Hmm, nothing. Except, that was actually pretty clever. And I have a pretty strong feeling Grundy ain't wrong. Except Lanos and his mother's box cannot sit in a tree, since they have neither a tree nor buttocks. Uh, is that your AI sidekick Lamo made for you, Grundy? Cause he's even more Lamo than Lame. What the Sam Hill? It's a little blue man group man in his born on a Monday suit. I am following, intercepting, and detecting the signal emanating from your neutral lepton beacon. Why am I here? Dr. Manhattan? Whoa. Good thing for the listeners this is an audio medium. You know this unshucked alien Yahoo professor? He's one of them guardians of the universe the Collector once told me about, right? Dr. Man... Uh, Dr. Osterman is actually from... Please, call me John, and I already know why I am here, Zoom Yukonori, and why you need my help. I will help you. Doctor, I mean, John, we actually did not... Can you help yourself in a pair of jeans or something first? Ah, yes, I see this is a more formal encounter. For the ease of those present... Is this sufficient? Now we have ourselves a barber's clerk. Is it one extreme to the other with this guy? Now then, Zoom Yukonori, Tobias Manning. We have a podcast to create. Pre-Crisis Apocalypse July 27th, 1985. Dark Side, look! It is the one we heard about. The one who destroyed all those universes. Oh, what can we do to stop him, O oh Great One? Silence your sniveling desert. I have already taken certain precautions. That monitor indeed possesses the power to destroy even a harsh apocalypse, but I have diverted all our energy to cloak our presence here. Let Earth's heroes battle the interloper to the death. Should they be victorious, the status quo will be maintained. Should the intruder win, he will certainly be weaker for the battle, but it shall be truly simple for me to see him destroyed. With patience shall come victory. Remember that lesson, Desaad. It has served me well throughout eternity. Now, regarding our other project. But of course, Great Dark Side. (laughs) 
as you can see, the Lanos computer and the mother box, now designated as uh, Maya, has been reintegrated with the so-called Zoom crew. The cover story they had provided, thanks to my ingeniously installed false memories, made them all completely oblivious to their true intentions, even Lanos and Maya themselves. For the backdoor protocol I had installed will enable them to carry out our uh, subliminal scheme, if you will, without even their notice. Very good. There is more, Gridarkside. One of the Zoom crew was condemned to the Valeronian senescent sanction, while the Maya had reversed this, the Lanos computer was able to do a thorough analysis of this common aspect of anti-life. And he was able to extrapolate one of the missing variables we need to complete the anti-life equation. Most impressive desert. And the rest? Oh, give it time, oh great one, after all. With patience shall come victory. You dare attempt to make excuses for your indolence with insepid platitudes to Saad. I have stated several times that I grow eager to fulfill my greatest quest, especially now that I'm so close to completion. Ah, we are so close. That is what you mean, we, Seer? I do not think you are hearing me. You have four Earth days to Saad. Four days. Do I make myself clear? Ah, uh, uh, yes, of course, O oh, Great Dark Side. Four days, decide, four days. Enfin, chien, it's not as if the world was about to end. The Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show is an unabashedly conceited member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Hosted by Zoom Yukinori. Sound editing by Isamu Hideaki Yukinori and Adrian Zett. The views expressed on Done in One Wonders belong solely to the host and his cast of characters, who are not affiliated in any way with any professional comic book publisher or entertainment company. All copyright and trademarks of comic book characters and related concepts, as well as music, audio clips, and quoted text, are held by their respective owners. These are used for entertainment purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. Celebrity voices are impersonated. With special thanks to Max Romero for providing the voice of Jonah Hex, to Chris Franklin for providing the voice of Vartox, to Michael Bailey for providing the voice of Dr. Manhattan, to Siskoid for providing the voice of Desaad, and to Shag Matthews for providing the voice of Darkseid. The Done in One Wonders Podcast Wonder Show is a Professor Zoom Productions production. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on how you can support the Fire & Water Podcast Network, 
visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts.